We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. I am so glad that you are here this morning. If you have your Bibles, would you take them and open them with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 16 through 18 this morning, and we are finishing up our series on our great and glorious hope. We've been walking through First and Second Thessalonians together, and we will finish up that series this week. I'm excited about finishing that up. Next week is Christmas Day. We get to have uh, Sunday is Christmas this coming Sunday. I'm excited about that, and so we'll get to join together and worship on Christmas Day for you to be here and to be a part of that and for us to celebrate that together today. But as we finish up today, one of the things we're going to, as we walk through this scripture, it may be one of the most practical passages that you have come across in a long time. In fact, I guarantee you there's not one person here that what we're going to talk about today doesn't apply to. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whether you're a student that's in the fourth grade or whether you're a senior adult. It doesn't matter where you work or what you do. What we're going to look at today is specifically about how, if you are saved, what does that look like in your everyday life, in your life at work? How should your Christianity affect your life? And so Paul obviously has a lot of things to say about that, but specifically today, what we open up and find is that Paul is addressing an issue, and it's almost as if Paul is saying, before I leave you, before I sign off, I need you to know that this is really, really important, that this makes an impact on how everyone views you, on how people view the church, on the credibility of your witness. And so let's make sure that before we exit, that you know exactly how it is that you need to behave inside the community in which you live. Now, for us to understand that, and I think there's some serious similarities and parallels in our day to what Paul is bringing up. Reason being is that inside the church, for whatever reason, there is just a high degree of complacency. There's just a degree of laziness. And there's people in the church that just aren't pulling their weight. They're not working. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. And different scholars disagree on why this was. Some say it's because a group in the church believed that Jesus was coming back imminently. So there was no use in going to work because Jesus was coming back. So we're just going to sit and wait on that, idly waiting for the skies to open. But other scholars, and I tend to believe it's a combination of both, not either or other scholars believe that it's a product of the culture that they lived in. Both the Greek and the Roman culture looked down. They despised manual labor. They thought that that manual labor was something that was undignified. So that spilled over into the church. How many of you know that what culture believes spills into the church all of the time if we don't guard against it? And so Paul is writing and he's looking at these issues and he's seeing what's taking place inside the church. And not only is it not glorifying to God, but it's killing the witness of the church. So Paul writes to them, and the big idea this morning that he is pushing is that the way that you carry out your responsibility, that is your job, that is your life at school, that is the things that God has placed on your plate, the way that you carry out your responsibility affects your witness and therefore it matters to God. Let's discover that together as we stand and read these last verses of 2 Thessalonians beginning in verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know 
how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some of you are idle. You're not busy. You are a busy body. Such people, command, such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Don't associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with, you all, with all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Lord, teach us that the way we carry out our responsibilities affects our witness and it matters to God. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you be seated? How many of you like your job? You like your job. Good. How many of you like school? Love it. Love school, right? Absolutely cannot go. Some of you want to sign up to go over Christmas vacation. That is how dedicated you are, right? That was an ugly look. Uh, um, uh, How many of you, uh, when you think about work, how many of you right now, you can think about maybe your favorite job that you've ever had? Or you can think about, how about the worst job you ever have? Most people can come up with that about that quick. What about the first job that you ever had? My parents owned a business, so when I, as soon as I was old enough to go, there was stuff to do. Taking out the trash, sweeping the floor, filling water picks because they owned a florist when I turned 14 because both of the funeral homes were really close. They would actually let me deliver funeral work before I had my driver's license, and I got to go in the back doors. I had the keys to churches because so, we delivered arrangements to all the churches. You had to do that on Saturday afternoon, so that was a part of it. And so I had worked for my parents for a long time but when you turned 16 you could get a job that wasn't with your parents and once I turned 16 I thought I'm not putting up with them anymore I'm gonna go get a job on my own I thought they were just slave drivers weren't treating me right weren't paying me enough so I'm gonna go I'm going corporate baby I'm going corporate 16 10th grade so I go down to the mall Turtle Creek Mall and there's a store called J.C. Penny. Now, some of you will remember what I'm talking about. In days of old, before the internet, they mailed things to your house called catalogs. Does anybody remember? Remember? A ca- okay. The catalog came to your house, and the J.C. Penny catalog, that was a whopper. I mean, the J.C. Penny catalog, it was huge. And you didn't order online, you went through the JCPenney catalog and then you called on a telephone that was at your house. It was weird. You had to punch buttons and all and dial tones. It was crazy. And so 
you would call and then you would talk to an operator and you had to give them an order number that was out of the JCPenney catalog. Well, this was before Amazon Prime. This was before free shipping and all of that. So if you wanted it shipped for free, it would be shipped to the JCPenney local store and you could go to the customer service desk and pick up your order. So I go down to JCPenney's, I applied for a job. It was uh, in my, I was 16 years old. Christmas was coming. They're looking for holiday help. I thought because of my supreme fashion sense when they looked at me, they would know that I belonged in the menswear division. And so they hired me without telling me where I, where I was going. So I get the job and I show up and they tell me, you're going to be working at the customer service desk and I thought well that's fantastic I've got great people skills I can't wait to do this if you have never worked the customer service desk at JCPenney during Christmas you haven't lived <laughs> and I can remember the first customer I ever had this is a you cannot make this up first customer I'm at the desk they came in and they gave you their order number and you typed it into the computer and it printed out a physical number and you had to go to the back because there was a warehouse behind there and you had to find the bin that their order was in and then you brought it to them. So this lady comes up to the counter. She is with another lady, comes up and she tells me her order number. So I go to the back and I get the order and I come back. Come to find out the lady is blind, completely blind, which is fantastic. I'm not real sure how she picked things out of the catalog, but we never got there. She asked, so I bring the stuff up and I go to ring it up and she says, do you mind taking it out of the package? Sure. So I take it out of the package and it's women's clothing items. And she is asking me to describe the women's clothing items. So I'm trying to tell her about the sleeves. She says, hold it up and tell me whether you think it will fit. There's no way this woman was big and these clothes were little. And, and so I didn't know how to tell the lady though, like I think you might should have, I don't know what size this is, but I think we might need to go up a size or two. I don't know. Oh, I think it's gonna look great. It ain't looking great. She ain't getting her arms through this shirt. And I... And so I, I, all I know to do is sell it to her. She walks out the door and I thought, man, I think I'd rather be delivering funeral work. Can I have my job back? But over the course of life, we work. We do some things we love. We do some things that are hard. We learn from some things, right? Some classes you love, some school you love, some you don't. But what does it look like to have a productive work life that honors God? That's a really important question. And Paul jumps right in to that. And when he starts off, he says and wants them to know how important it is that they would be a people who keep away from people who are idle, that do not live according to the teaching you receive from us. Verse 6, verse 7. You know how we acted. We weren't idle. In other words, we worked while we were with you. You saw us. We modeled what that should look like. In fact, some of you are have gotten to the point that you are you are living in a way that is so disrespectful that people ought to shun you. They shouldn't even have anything to do with you. And even gives a command that we need to, I think this needs to be placed on billboards across the United States. If a man will not work, he should not eat. That's biblical. We live in a handout 
free entitlement society. And remember, as Christians, we are supposed to be people that take care of the poor and needy, right? We are supposed to do for people that can't do for themselves. We are supposed to give and to be generous. So the Bible tells us that. But the Bible also tells us we shouldn't be a part of an enterprise that fosters laziness. And if you are a Christian, Christian and lazy should not be synonymous. Paul goes on to say that if you are lazy, you're going to fill your time with things that are unproductive. What does he say? When you become idle, you become a meddler. Do you see that? He talks about how that they meddle in the affairs of others because they don't have any business of their own, so they go about being busybodies and meddling in other people's business. Warren Wiersbe said they've got time on their hands and gossip on their lips. I like that. Most people that do have too much time on their hands have gossip on their lips. I have found that people that work hard, that take care of their families, that serve in the church, that are busy in the community, those people, they don't have time to get in everybody else's business because you recognize that you've got enough problems of your own. You've got enough issues of your own. Half the time, I, you can see when people start to talk about juicy tidbits and people lean in and their eyes get big and they get all excited. I've got to tell you, what Paul is addressing here is that we ought to be a people that are responsible enough, not only at work, but at school and in our classes, that we so take care of our business and we care about what God has given us to do that we don't take the time to be meddlesome gossips in everybody else's business. And Paul says there's a real, real easy antidote to that. Whatever God's put on your plate, do a good job with it. How simple is that? You say, what does this have to do with me? I'm not working. I'm in, I'm in college right now. That's your job. You're in 10th grade? Be the best 10th grader you can be. Study as hard as you can study. Make the best grades that you can make. You're on an athletic team? Do the best that you can. If you're in the band, learn it. Do what you're supposed to do and be busy with those things. And it's amazing how life begins to change. God commanded work. Some people see work as a sentence, but work was actually commanded before the fall. Now, work got harder after the fall, but God told Adam and Eve to work the garden, to name the animals before sin ever entered into the world. Not to mention that, did you know that the Ten Commandments commands us to work? You're thinking, which commandment is that? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you should work and one day you should rest the bible assumes that we need rest the bible assumes we need rest because you have to rest from something if you haven't been working you wouldn't need to rest from anything there's a lot of people that technically don't need a sabbath because they're sorry every day right all these bumper stickers i've got one god is anti-deadbeat God is anti-deadbeat. He is not for people mooching off other people. He is not for that. And one of the reasons this is so huge in the church is if you foster 
a belief that people can do whatever they want to do and freeload off of other people, then it actually kills the ministry of the church because then when the church actually wants to minister to people that really need it, you can't do it because you're too busy ministering to people who don't need ministering to. It's a, you talk about a pandemic, this is a pandemic. And Paul is talking about this because he knows that not only has God commanded it, but God set an example. God works to keep the universe running and all that God does. Jesus works in redemption. The Holy Spirit works in conviction and in working inside our heart. Work and the ability to work is a gift. It's not a curse. This is talking again about people who can but refuse to. Sloth in the Bible is a sin and it was considered so serious that Paul tells them to keep away from people that refuse to work. Proverbs 16, 26 says it pretty plainly. A worker's appetite works for him for his hunger urges him on. Think about that for just a minute. What's he saying? Have any of you, any of you ever had any picky kids that didn't want to eat certain foods we've talked about this recently some of your children live on chocolate chip cookies and nuggets like it's it's unbelievable and we have a generation often of kids that will only eat very few amounts of things very 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 picky well all of that is well and good but what ends up being really, really difficult when we start to understand that is I actually heard this conversation over the weekend. Somebody told someone, said, if you will just quit feeding them what they want, eventually they'll get hungry enough, they'll eat something else. I thought, hmm. What Paul is saying here is, if these freeloaders got off the assistance that working people are giving them, eventually if they got hungry enough, they would do something to earn enough of a living that they could eat. Hunger actually should drive you to a biblical work ethic. That's biblical. And so he even told 1 Timothy 5.8 when he was writing to Timothy, he said someone who is lazy is actually worse than an unbeliever. That's a quote, 1 Timothy 5.8. So what we know is neither the church nor the government owes a living to the lazy. I'm reminded uh, in Europe, it's a bird called the cuckoo bird. Anybody heard of the cuckoo bird? Cuckoo bird's got a strategy. Cuckoo bird, this is how the cuckoo bird does it. Cuckoo bird doesn't even make a nest. No. Cuckoo bird waits on another bird to make a nest. And then the cuckoo bird goes and lays its egg in another bird's nest. And not only does the cuckoo bird lay the egg in the other bird's nest, it never even sits on the egg. It just leaves it there. And the other bird comes back, and the other bird doesn't realize that's not my egg. And what's odd about this is the cuckoo bird's egg is normally two to three times the size of the other eggs that are in the nest, but the mother doesn't realize it, so she sits on the cuckoo bird's egg, and she hatches a cuckoo bird. All of the eggs hatch, and one of the birds is four times the size of the other birds. 
So then the cuckoo bird, after only a couple of days, has even grown larger than that. Because he started off larger, he gets every one of the worms, every one of the grubs that is brought to the nest. He steals them all from the little ones until he is strong enough that he actually takes his beak, picks up the other little ones, and throws them out of the nest where all you're left with is one single fat cuckoo bird. And it's there because its parents dropped it off didn't raise it, allowed someone else to raise it, and then it took the food from the ones that were supposed to receive it. We got some cuckoos in our society, amen? And Paul said that is not what it's supposed to look like. Verses 11 and 12, when he says, we fear you're idle, you're not busy, you've become busy bodies, we command you to settle down and earn the bread that you eat. He's basically saying there is nothing wrong with a hard day's work. There's nothing wrong with having a job. There is nothing wrong with doing a good job at that job. So become productive. And then verse 13, don't grow tired of doing good. Who's he talking about? He says, as for you brothers, don't grow tired of doing good. He's encouraging those that are being charitable and that are being generous not to quit being generous. I want to be straight up with you guys for just a moment. As a pastor, one of the things that we are called on to do is to care for people that are in need. And that is a joy. When people are genuinely in need, I don't know if I have ever heard about a church that will rally around each other like you will, that will come to somebody's assistance when people are genuinely hurting and genuinely in need. It has been incredible to watch that over the last 18 years of my life. But if you are not careful as a pastor, you will get jaded. And let me tell you why. Because I cannot tell you how many people want to take advantage of Christian people because they know Christian people are merciful. They know they're giving. They know they're compassionate because we're supposed to be. Well, after you get burnt once, twice, three times, 172 times, if you're not careful, you'll become callous to that. And eventually you'll start believing that everyone is a thief and a liar. And I've had to check my own heart at the door and come back to this passage and recognize it is our job to do the best that we can. And it's your job individually to do the best that we can to make sure that what we're giving toward is things that are actually helping people that are really in need. But I want to tell you this. If your heart is in the right place, I get this question all the time. I don't know whether to help this person or not help this person. I don't know. God will judge them. God will judge them for what they do with their lives and what they do with the help that you give. If you are being honestly responsible and trying to do, make a, do, be generous, then God bless you for that. But we have to remain both careful and we have to remain soft-hearted. That's not always an easy thing to do. It's a balance and we need the Lord's help in being able to do that. That's what Paul is calling the church to. So when we talk about work, we need to talk about what work is. When we ask someone what they want to be when they grow up, what kind of career do you want to have, without a commitment to God, work is hollow. You have to see purpose in your work. And I have probably said this a hundred times over the course of my ministry here. 
But there is no such thing as a secular job. We have done a poor job in ministry of saying, oh, well, we've got paid ministers and then we've got the rest of the people. Lay people, people will call it. Listen to me. I could go through right now and say, what do you do? And, and hey, what do you do? And what about you? What, what do you do? And what do you do? And all these professions would end up being listed. If you are saved, then that is not just a job. That is the ministry to which God has appointed you. I'm not saying that there aren't vocational called people and that that's not different. But when we start classifying and, try, and people don't understand that their job and their work is their ministry, then we're going to end up with a whole lot of people who come to church on Sundays and maybe Wednesdays and think that the rest of their life is divorced from that. Paul didn't understand it that way. You get up on Monday morning, you go earn a living, praise God, that's responsible, that's what you ought to do, but you ought to see that, that the ministry that is God's given you. Now, God can change that, and maybe it's not your favorite job in the whole world. That's okay. I hear people sometimes, oh, if I had his job, if I had his career, you don't. Quit worrying about his job or her job and start doing yours. And it's amazing that if some people would quit complaining about the job that they don't have, they might actually get the job that they want because they do a better job at the one they have currently. Paul is emphasizing that and wanting them to understand how important this is. So, so let me give you a few things that... that that we can understand your career can't, cannot do and things that your career can do. Number one, some things that your career cannot do. Your career cannot give you ultimate purpose in life. It cannot. Some of you here and those of you listening, you've achieved what you wanted to achieve in your career and that's fantastic. But sometimes after achieving it, you're going, now wait a minute, I thought I was going to feel more fulfilled than this. A career is great, but if you're looking to it for ultimate fulfillment, you're going to be incredibly disappointed. A career cannot substitute for your family life. A career cannot substitute for fellowship with God's people. A, a career cannot substitute for faith. A career cannot substitute for obedience. But there are things a career can do. A career can provide enjoyment. It can provide fulfillment. So we find something that we do, and we do it well, and we do it to the fullest while we can and it gives us an opportunity to apply all of this stuff that we talk about on Sundays the average person will spend one-third of their life working which means that our jobs our school everything that we're involved in is actually a spiritual laboratory that God has called us to L let me just let's just cross-reference a little bit so we can see that it isn't just this passage it's all throughout the New Testament 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Colossians 3, 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 1 Peter 4, 11. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. How does our work ethic affect our testimony for Jesus? What would it look like if we changed our lives so that people would look at us and say, 
Yes, I can tell by the way that they are responsible and how hard they work and how they are, their attention to detail that Jesus Christ in their life has impacted the way that they do everything. I came across something I wanted to share with you guys. I, th- I thought this is a different, a different way to think about the ministry of Jesus. When we think about the person of Jesus, sometimes we forget we're at Christmas time. What did Joseph do for a, li- for a living? Joseph was a carpenter. So what did Jesus do until he was 30 years old and launched his public ministry? What was Jesus? It's a carpenter, right? Most of the time when we think of Jesus, if we think of carpentry, we immediately think of the cross. And you think about two timbers that had been lashed together, and that's what we think about. But in reading church history, I came across something that I thought was fascinating. Justin Martyr, he wrote that in the second century, over a hundred years after Jesus had died, rose again, and resurrected, that there were people in Jesus' hometown that were still using the plows that Jesus had made when he was walking the earth. Now you say, oh, well, did Jesus sprinkle supernatural dust on the plows? Did Jesus work a miracle on the plows and touch the plows so that they'd be magic plows? No, he did a really good job when he made the plows. He did a really good job. And because he did a really good job, because he wanted to honor God, because whether or not he was dying on a cross or whether or not he was making a plow, he believed that that was important in the way you honored the Lord. I think we ought to think about sometimes the plows that Jesus made when we get up and go to work and we think about what it is that we are making and whether or not that's going to stand the test of time and it's going to be an honor to God and an honor to Jesus himself. During Christmas time, if you've got children, especially young children, preschool ages, preschool age children they're always making crafts right probably right now if you've got a preschooler maybe a small child I can almost bet that right now they're making an ornament and a lot of times they're hideous you've seen these ornaments you have no idea what they are it's like clay that's gotten cooked it doesn't look like anything it's colored all over the top of it they try to draw and you don't know what it is it's too heavy it's so heavy that it'll break off the branch if you try to hold hang it on the side of it it's a cut out cut out Christmas tree and it looks like they colored it like a sunset and nothing's in the lines and you're looking at it and your job as a parent you know because you've all lied you all you've all lied do you like it I love it isn't it pretty it's beautiful anybody else it's not that kid's parents gonna go oh my But your Christmas tree right now is probably full of that stuff. And you actually do like it. And over the years you look back and you're like, wow, I remember when little Johnny did that when he was three. It was so sweet. Even though when we looked at it, we worried about little Johnny. Right? But you go down there to pick him up and and it's, look, Daddy, look what I made. Look, Look, Mommy, look what I made. And I got so tickled this week thinking about it. Because my best effort 
the best sermon I'll ever preach, the best job that I'll ever do pastoring this church, the best decisions that I'll ever make, the best ministry that I'll ever do to people, the best advice that I've ever given somebody, the, the best I'll ever do walking with somebody through a hard time, at best is like a preschooler sitting there with work that they've done and I hold it up to the Lord, to the Lord and I say, look, look, didn't I do a good job? Didn't I do a good job? And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that my heavenly father can look at what I've done and approve it, not because the work is so wonderful, but because he loves me and I'm his child. But what I want to know is are we even perceiving our work as something that at the end of the day we would hold up and say, look, heavenly father, look what I did. Would you pray with me? Lord, we bow before you today and we thank you that you have called us to be a people who work, work hard to bring you honor and glory. The greatest work that was ever done was done by through your incarnation, you came to this world. You worked for 33 years in sinless perfection in a cruel world that treated you horribly. You worked as you were beaten and spit upon and walked the road to Golgotha's hill. You worked as the nails went through your hands and the nails went through your feet. And you worked as you pulled yourself up on that cross for those hours of compressed hell as the wrath of God was poured out on you. You worked when after having declared your victory to Satan and every demon in hell upon your death, you rose from the grave. You worked for 40 days to appear to people to show them that you were alive and you worked to ascend to the right hand of God the Father and right now you are working in us and you are working through us. And one day you will work again when you separate the clouds and you descend and that trump is called. So God, may we emulate you in the way that we work and carry out our God-given responsibilities. I want you to know today that if you have never given your life to Jesus, the incarnate, crucified, and risen Son of God, that He can give meaning and purpose to your work life. He can give meaning and purpose to your life at school. He can do that in a way that only He can, but you've got to give your life to Him. If you want to be a part of a church who we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we recognize that we need him for every moment of every day in our work lives and school lives and every part of our lives, then you come and be a part of what God's doing at this church. Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.